This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversations. Tonight is the second to last show in a series on 21st century families. Tonight we'll be focusing on families with two fathers. At a time when Republican candidate Rick Santorum was recently quoted as saying that a child would be better off with a dad in prison than a gay father, we thought it would be important to hear from a wonderful gay father of two boys. Frank is married and living in a suburb of Boston with his husband and two sons, ages seven and three years old. He's a psychiatrist in private practice who specializes in the treatment of people who have suffered from trauma. He also lectures and teaches about trauma. Welcome to Safe Space, Frank. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. So when you were growing up and you realized at some point that you were gay, did you imagine at that point that you would become a dad? You know, I really didn't even think that it wouldn't be an option. So you I, always thought, I'm going to be a dad when I grow up. Well, I was, yeah, I, I loved kids from the beginning. I always loved kids. I, I moved into houses that were across the street from parks <laughs> my whole life. And you bought my first house, you know, across the street from a playground, and I just always knew kids would be in my life. And when I came out, I didn't it didn't even occur to me that that wouldn't be that wouldn't happen or wouldn't be an option and i knew that other people had felt differently that um i had heard oh gosh you know gay men who come out it's such a loss for them because they won't be able to have kids it never even entered my mind it's so wonderful to hear that because i think that so many people really do have a different experience or maybe used to it seems like almost a sign of the times that for you it was just always a given well, and you know what? I can credit my mom for that in some ways, even though she did have a hard time with me coming out. She, you know, kind of implanted this message in me very early that you can do whatever you want. You could do whatever you want. And I really kind of think that carried over mm. for me. I really do. I just kind of feel like it was, well, of course I can do this. I didn't know how and when or anything like that, but I didn't. I just thought it's going it, to, of course it can so great to hear. I know that some people, you know, uh, a little bit older generation who find out that their adult kids are gay. So often what I hear is their first thought is, oh, no, I might not get to have grandchildren. Yes, that's right. I think that's common. Was that part of your mother's difficulty? Um, yeah, I think that was part of it. Um, I certainly think that she also felt this level of responsibility. We were really close. And she thought, oh, gosh, I did this to him. Right. And it was so clear to me at the time that that was not the case. You know, and I kind she of was powerful, but maybe not quite that powerful. Like, sorry, Mom, <laughs> I'm so sorry you feel this way. It has nothing to do with you. Mm. But I know that was part of what she struggled with and this whole idea of, you know, no grandkids. Yeah, right. I think that's true. So at some point, you and your husband decided that you would have kids, and I'm wondering when you started telling people, well, how, what kind of reaction did you get? Well, I can start with him to tell you the truth. Let's start <laughs> right there. Story with that. <laughs> okay. We started dating, and we met in Provincetown, and very early on, like way too early in a gay relationship, the idea of children came up. He brought it up, actually, and I said, well, you need to know this right up front. <laughs> I want to have kids, which is not a selling point in a gay relationship. Mm. Um, and he was, he was great with it. He said, holy cow, really? I said, really? Like, 
let's not even move forward here. And he said, give me two years and I'll be ready. Hmm. And I didn't know quite what that meant, but um, that's the way we started. You know, like we started this relationship knowing that that was going to happen. And so it was just, it was one of these things for me that, you know, I think we met, I was maybe 35, and I knew that if I hadn't met somebody to have kids with, I was going to do it on my own anyways by 40. So it didn't have to happen that way. And um, I do we get we probably got mixed mixed responses, mostly supportive because you know um, I had been out long enough to kind of create a safe world for myself. So most of the people um, were totally supportive and were kind of into it, and it was really kind of cool. Um, but I would say probably more of my family back home from the Midwest who were a little bit like, oh, wow, you like, he, he comes out and now he's going to have kids. What will he do next? This man <laughs> is stretching us beyond <laughs> our capacity, let me tell you. So That's I the nature was, of a child, right? you got to stretch your parents. That's your job. <laughs> your totally family. not what we expected, and then some. <laughs> mm, that's right. Um, and did people, you know, I know that there's so many people who feel a child needs a mother, and how will these children be without a mother? And I'm curious, um, yeah. did you did you have a worry about that? Um, good Lord, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm more nurturing than a lot of women I know, mm-hmm. and I just feel like that's just who I am. Like, I just don't feel like it's a gender issue. I do believe that people feel that way, and people have this mindset of, oh, my gosh, a kid needs a mother. But, you know, from where I'm coming from, I'm loving and nurturing, and I do this for a living, <laughs> helping right. people. And I'm just, it's naturally who I am, so I, I don't feel that way. I mean, one of the things I can say um, and, and interestingly enough, I get those kinds of comments more from women than from men. Interesting. Um, when we're at in the airport. We want to believe we're indispensable, Frank. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Like, you know, I can be, you know, we can be in the grocery store. We can be in the airport. Like, when we're kind of out in the world, it's always women that come up to us with a baby. Oh, here, let me help you. Oh, I'll do that for you. Like, it's really interesting that you get that response. Like, oh, this is a dad or this is a father. He must, he can't do this or he needs help. You know what I mean? Yes, that's fascinating. So So it's not that they're, it's not that they're implying, it's not that they're shaming you or implying like you're bad. It's just more like you're in, you must be incompetent. Like, you know, you, you need help because you're a man. You can't do this. Yeah, that's the feeling. Here, let me help you. It's not, it's not a... You shouldn't have a kid. Interesting. It's more, at least, at least that's the way it, it, I experience it. So, when someone does that, how? What is that like for you inside? What What feelings does that bring up for you? Um, it's kind of funny. Like I, I, I'm competent. I'm capable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I've accomplished a lot in my life, and I feel like I can do this. And you know, when you. It's certainly in the beginning, like with the birth of our first son, I think everybody, every parent feels like, oh, my gosh, how do you do this? Right. But I was really in a routine, and I knew what I was doing, and I just was like, thanks, 
thanks, but we're fine. Thanks, but we've got this. You know, and it was kind of striking because it it was it was almost I would almost liken it to the way women talk about um people um when they're pregnant they just go over and touch the belly. Yeah. <laughs> it was that kind of like, Oh, let me just come into your space. And I guess sometimes I felt it was a bit intrusive, like, look, we're fine. Right. We don't need your help. I didn't ask. I've got this. So I guess maybe intrusive would be a way to articulate what it felt like sometimes, even though I knew it was well-intended. Yeah, no, it, it does really sound that way. Do yeah. you ever do you ever find yourself tempted to kind of like teach the person or make a point, or have you not had to do that? We've done it all along, um, and that's one of the things that I feel really good about. You know, oh, no, we have two dads. You know, oh, no, you know, this, he has two dads. My kids have two dads. Like, we've been saying this from the get-go. Mm. And when, in my experience, when you just put it out there in a very matter-of-fact kind of way, then it's the other person's discomfort if they feel that way. Mostly they don't, honestly, because of where we live. I feel Massachusetts, because of allowing gay marriage, kind of makes it legitimate. Right. And so when I just say, no, oh, the, you know, he has two dads, people will often say, oh, where's his mom? Something like this. Nope, no mom. <laughs> and I found that that's been really helpful. Mm. You know, I have a great moment with my oldest son who, um, I think this was about a year or two ago, and the tax assessor came to the house, and it was the summertime, and she rang the doorbell, and, you know, he ran up to the door, and he says, hi, and she's like, oh, hi, honey, is your mommy home? And he's like, no, I don't have a mommy. And she's like, yes, you do, could you get your mommy? (laughs) He's like, no, I don't have a mommy. And she said, yes, honey, you do. Go get your mommy. Wow. <laughs> she really wasn't listening. Like, no, he doesn't have a mom. He's got two dads. And, you know, then it was, of course, her discomfort, not ours. Yeah. I was just so proud of him. And, like, that's what he knew. That's what he's been saying. And he was just like, no, no, mom. You know, and that was the kind of, that's the way I think we handle it, is that it, we're fine with this. If you're not, that's okay. That's yours. Right, so you, it's almost like I sense that you could tell that he hadn't internalized it as a deficit. At all. There wasn't any sense of a lack. It was just a fact. No, there's actually no mother here. The bus driver told me a story um, <clears throat> last year, which I just loved. Um, kids were talking about going, I think they were talking about going on vacation with their mom and dad, and he said to a bunch of kids on the bus, guess what? I got two dads, no mom. I, no, he didn't say no, Mom. He said, I got two dads. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and the kids were like, yeah, that's awesome. And then they moved on. And the bus driver just was like, just so pleased with that. He wanted to share it with us, you know. I, must, I like imagine his, that meant a great deal to hear that. Yeah, his experience was, this is so cool. Aren't I lucky? A boy with two dads, what more could you ask for? And she just witnessed it and thought it was, you know, worth sharing with us, which I loved. Yeah, that is really lovely. So then I'd like to hear, you know, I was thinking about how to frame this question, Frank. What verb? I was thinking, like, how did you get your children? And I thought, there really isn't a verb for this. How did you obtain them? (laughs) How did you conceive them? How how did you come by your children? (laughs) Well, I I feel like this is just an amazing, wonderful story. it was certainly a difficult process. We decided, mostly my decision, to do surrogacy. 
um, mostly because I wanted to be there from the beginning. I wanted to be there at the birth. Um, I didn't really care about genetics in any kind of way, um, but it just was important to me as a psychiatrist who kind of believes and cares about attachment that I wanted to be there from the beginning. So we decided to do surrogacy, and it was a long process that was complicated with our first surrogate. Didn't work, and then we, uh, we with an agency, you know, they gave us a second surrogate, and um, we. When you did, say it didn't work. You mean like there was no conception? Many, you know, it, that's a whole nother show probably around um, women who decide to do surrogacy. Okay. She was really a complicated individual and said she was pregnant and wasn't, and it was kind of crazy, really. Oh dear. Um, and I was grateful in the, you know, looking through it af- after it all was said and done that she actually didn't get pregnant. Yeah. You know, it kind of, in my belief, kids, you know, land where they're supposed to. So we ended up getting a second surrogate and, you know, did an intrauterine insemination on July 6th. You know, the pregnancy was great. We had a baby. Um, and we were there. The doctor was really cool in California, induced her so we could be there, kind of planned it in mm-hmm. a way. And we were there for the birth, and it was just, you know, this, <laughs> just, you know, as everybody says, just an amazing, amazing experience. I wanted our kids to know who this woman was. It was yeah. very important to me that they had somebody to identify with and talk to and see. So that was important to me, and so we, you know, made sure we worked with somebody who was willing to be known by them. Yes. I think it's part of their identity, for sure. So that's what we did with Logan. Um, And then um, we, around him being three years old, we decided to have another kid, mostly my decision. And it took my spouse a while to kind of get on board with, oh, my gosh, we're going to do this again. And we couldn't really afford surrogacy the second round because it's wildly expensive. So we decided to to go do adoption. And so we were looking through adoption agencies, and out of the blue, um, my oldest son's birth mom called me and said, I'm pregnant. Do you want another kid? We can't have this kid. We can't afford it. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. She's like, no, I'm not kidding you. Like, geez, let me think about it. Well, as it turns out, both kids were conceived on the same day, Ah. July 6th, to be exact, and they were born a day apart. So we have one birthday, March 25th, and four years later, another birthday, March 26th. And it just, just in my heart, I just know this is exactly the way it was supposed to be. Mm. That is beyond coincidence for me, and just just such a a great way to have a family. No kidding. In a way that was beyond us and was supposed to kind of unfold that way. So it's a mean, wonderful that, story. Is she the biological mother of your first child? Yeah, she's she's the bio she's the biological mom for both kids. Yeah. And it was important for her not to be called mom. Yeah. That was a request of hers. So my kids say they have a, a papa, a daddy, and um, a Michelle. There you go. <laughs> that's that's their story, and you know that's what they have. Yes, and you has know. she wanted? You know, it sounds like you wanted them to be able to be known by her, and vice versa. Yeah. Do you, she's in California? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And how have you 
sort of negotiated that ongoing connection between them? We talk to her periodically, probably every three to six months. We are on Facebook with her. Um, We've been out to visit her. We're kind of due for another visit now that um, my youngest is going to turn four. So it's just this kind of a normal part of their life. Yes. You know, and we're just, you know, she loves to hear about them and see, you know, pictures of them on Facebook and, you know, um, it's, she's a part of our family in a way. It, and that was important to me. It's, it sounds like it really was such a gift to you. Totally. A hundred percent. hundred percent gift. Yeah. I'm so clear about that. Yes. And you know, one of the things I'm aware of, and I've heard this from other, um, like as being two men, we can't do this on our own. <laughs> you know, we just can't make a baby on our own. And I've heard that w- sometimes women who use surrogates can be very jealous of them and get kind of territorial. Yes. I'm sure that's not the case for all women. But in our case, it's like you are giving us this gift that we can't do on our own and we just have nothing but love for you. And so it's been a way, and you know, a way to just integrate her into our life. That's just been great. That's such know? a fascinating contrast, right? Because you're you're not threatened by her in the same way, potentially, anyway. At all, right? There's just gratitude. Uh, that's exactly right. It's it's a hundred percent gift. I mean, what this woman has done for us is is you know beyond words for me. Mm. I'm you know forever indebted and grateful to her, and I think she feels that from us. I imagine she does. Yeah. How I wonderful think. for her to know that she's got two loving parents for her for the child she bore. Yeah, and I think that's partly why she called us up too. You know, like I was so grateful, like when she had gotten pregnant and really knew that she couldn't raise another kid. You know, she just called us. Uh, you know, that was her. Like, I want these. You know, I want this. And you know, honestly, I had a conversation with her this summer, and she said, "Are you guys done?" <laughs> I want another one. <laughs> How did you answer her, Frank? I said, "Yep, we're done. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so good. All done I'm now. Clear this time. Yes. Two is hard and difficult and fun, but we're done. <laughs> right. You have all the challenges that that every parent of a two kids has. Totally. Right. Yes. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Frank about his experience of being the married dad of two boys uh, that he shares with another dad. Um, So I want to ask you now about how do you talk to your children about homophobia? How do you, um, you know, do you protect them from occasional moments where you, I don't know if they've ever been, it doesn't sound like it from the story you said with the tax assessor. But are there are there ways that they might feel in any way vulnerable to you? And if so, how do you talk to them about that? You know, um, I think we've been very thoughtful about where we live. And you know, we've we moved originally um, to a community that was close by here, but didn't feel safe enough, and we moved. You know, one town over, which made a world of difference, interestingly enough. And what made it not feel safe to you, Frank? Um, It was, you know, we live in a a very liberal, rural community. I can tell you the first day we moved into this other town, a guy walks up to our door with a plate of brownies, and he's like, welcome to the neighborhood. 
I said, great. I'm like, honey, come here. <laughs> Somebody brought a plate of brownies. And he looked at us, and he said, are you brothers? I said, no. He said, oh. He handed the brownies, and he turned around and left. And I was like, oh, good Lord, what did we just move into? You know, This is your first day there. That was the welcoming committee for the town. You know, like he, his wife made brownies, brought them up, and I was like, this isn't okay. I don't want to bring, I don't want to raise a family in this environment. So we moved before our kids were, you know, in school, before our first son was, you know, he wasn't even born at that point. She was pregnant at the time, actually, and that's why we kind of moved out to the country. Yeah. Um, so we moved, and now we're in this community where I would really say it's irrelevant. Uh, you know, this is not a non-issue in this community. So my kids really have not experienced any homophobia. And I don't feel like I'm trying to shelter them. I just feel like I want to give them as much of a sound basis of, around identity and who they are so that when it does occur, they're going to be better equipped. Yeah. And that's, that's my view about it. I just want to stretch this kind of utopian community as long as I can. It makes sense. Because they're clearly going to deal with this. You know, when we go visit, um, my in-laws who live in Arkansas, let me tell you, it's another world. And it's scary, and it does not feel safe when we get on that plane and travel there. And I know that that's going to be part of the world that they're going to be in. And do you talk to them about that? Not yet, because they haven't, they haven't really bumped up against it. So I haven't really brought it up. You know, they're, we talk about gay, like they know what the word gay means. And they know that that's what we are, and they know that they can be whatever they want and whatever feels natural to them. Yeah. So we have those kinds of discussions. Um, we've, you know where it's come up? I can tell you Anne is around Boy Scouts. Ah, tell because me. at one point, my oldest said he wanted to be in Boy Scouts, and we had that discussion about, you know, it's kind of not okay for you to be in Boy Scouts because some people don't agree with our family. And he just was like, what? Like, <laughs> get it. Right. You know, and I'm like, no, sorry, honey, you kind of can't be in Boy Scouts. So that's the first place it came up. So poignant. Yeah. Yeah. Really. And is that because, when you say he can't be, is that because you just, you know, on principle don't want any association with that organization? We are not allowed you're not allowed. They have a, a discriminatory policy in Boy Scouts. That no, no children of gay parents can be well, in Boy Scouts? Well, that's controversial. No gay parents are allowed to be den fathers. That the gay people are not allowed in the Boy Scouts. But your child, I mean, <laughs> these are children. You don't know what his orientation is going to be. Exactly. And I actually, part of me, you know, I've got this activist in me. And part of me thought when he asked, I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be the den father. <laughs> you know, let's right. go, guys, come on. And I just didn't want to fight that fight yeah. right now. And yeah. so a bunch of people in my community said, let's start our own organization. <laughs> you know. Did you? We didn't yet. We don't know. You know, I'm not quite sure. Boy Scouts is not so big here. And I, if, if it's important to him, I will. He was kind of confused by it. I bet he was. You know, um, so... 
I don't know. I, and I will do, you know, I think there is a there is a fighter part of me for sure that will be a very strong advocate if I need to be. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really bumped up against it yet. That was our first little kind of encounter with, no, we're not welcome here. Mm. And I, he didn't really get it. You know, it's like, what do you mean? Like it, it wasn't part of his world yet. Right. So we'll see how that kind of unfolds. Well, and being confused by it is is a really appropriate response, you know, because right. it doesn't make any sense. That's exactly right. When when this is your world and this is what you know. Right. You know, I'm struck, Frank, I actually want to name, if it's okay with you, the conversation that we had even just before we began this interview. Absolutely. In deciding, you know, you asked me to keep it to your first name only, and I'd love to hear how you decided that request and and the feelings that you had about it, because it seems relevant. Well, you know what, Anne, it did bring up for me, when we leave our community, it's a different world. That it reminded me of when we get on that plane and travel to Arkansas. So if, you know, you and I are talking, this is safe for me. But then I thought, wow, who's listening? How, who's hearing this? And it opens the world up in this way of unknown. So I don't know if it's safe for everybody listening to hear my story. And I don't know that I wanted my full name to be put out there because the world that we've created is safe, and I feel totally comfortable in that. But I'm aware that there's this other world and other individuals who may feel differently and may have hate towards me or, you know, want to hurt my family, and I just was mindful of that. When it opens it up beyond my world, does that make sense? Yes, I mean, because really what we're saying here, the contrast is so striking to me. On the one hand, here's your child who's seven, right, the oldest? Yeah. Who you feel like maybe other than this Boy Scouts experience has really hardly been touched by homophobia. Yeah. So there's this amazing community and safety that you've been able to create. And then on the other hand, literally there was a fear of some kind of hate violence associated with yeah. being a public figure. And um, yeah. it's not just, we're, it's not, we're not talking about, you know, being excluded or having kind of derogatory comments. We're talking about the fear of literal violence. Right. Absolutely. And um, it's just very poignant. And it feels like a really re- kind of reality check about the context in which you're raising your family. And the context in which a political candidate for the leader of this country could feel justified in saying that, you know, yeah, a gay father right. was worse than a, than a convict who wasn't even in the home. And we hear that and we know that there are people in this world that feel that way. It's a very sad note to end on, Frank, but I am going to have to end. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for your courage and um, sharing the stories about your, you know, your process of being a dad I, I so appreciate you being a guest it was my pleasure and just want to share that perspective put this perspective out there too thank you frank if you'd like further resources if you'd like to have a more of a conversation with frank he has invited me to give my email and i can put you in touch with him my email is dr ann at safespaceradio.com my thanks tonight to ken for mixing the sound and maurice lennon for the music also to neil mckenty for being my uh, consultant If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety or email a link to it to a friend, please go to our website, which is www.safespaceradio.com. You can also email subscribe there and get a weekly announcement and with a link to the show. I'd also like to invite you to like us on Facebook. Coming up next is Watchdog.